This is David's Game Show. Alright, you amazing dudes, you amazing dudettes, you great people out there. And any animals listening, and I include all the, you know, monocellular organisms as animals, even though strictly you're not. Plants, if you have a intelligence that allows you to listen to this welcome fungi, they're not plants, just so you know, they're on a different branch of the tree of life. Welcome to you, you lovely mushrooms, you. Welcome to all the people in the world to this show. This is the fourth episode of David's Game Show, and I taped it over, taped it. I filmed it, no, what is it? Recorded it on a computer across two days, the 29th and 30th of May 2022. (laughs) Why do you care? I don't know why I'm telling you that. Um, Welcome. So this week's a bit of fun. I'm going to talk about Switch and Signal, which is a great little co-op game, medium-sized co-op game from Cosmos. I really enjoy it. It It's not going to blow the world on fire, if that's a thing that you can do, but it, it's enjoyable and that's what games are about, right? It's a bit of fun. It's a great puzzle. Oh, why am I talking about it already? We'll also have a question. Yes, someone actually wrote me a question. Uh, we'll also have a chat about the Spiel des Jahres nominees and I don't think I end up saying much at all. You could have just looked it up. Enjoy that. We'll have our cryptic quiz. And I'll also talk about three lighter co-ops like switch and signal but light but not pandemic or pandemic clones or pandemic close adjacent so i hope you enjoy that and i also get really annoyed internally i don't think i show it at my producer and uncle craig who are really starting to do my head oh david darling it's great to be here again for episode four of david's game show that's good Even though there is no game show on your show, it's not a game show. I know that. I've said that a lot. It was just a name. It was an easy name. I just picked a name. Yeah, you could have called it anything. But you chose a name that was confusing. Everyone's going to be looking for a game show. Well, I've got a quiz on here, like a cryptic clues thing. That stinks. It's not even a game show. There's no contestants, no prizes, no big, like, lit up board, no wheel you spin, no deal. Okay, sorry about that. One day I might change the name of the show. One day, make it this day. No, I can't. It's too late now. I've got a few episodes in. Let's get to episode 10 before we... uh, Decide if we should change the name. Maybe it'll get really famous for the name, with the name. Or not, but I'll hold you to that. Episode 10 it is. Now, you know how we tried to get you a new theme song to help you get more hits? You mean more listens? No, hits. Well, you know how we tried to get you a theme song? Theme song? Theme? You've lost your voice. Yeah, let me just have a drink of water. Hang on. Yeah, so you know how we tried to get you a new theme song, but uh, it didn't work? Well, you gave me two options, the monks 
and uh, someone I forget. Well, I have one other one for you, the Leonard brother. The Leonard brother. I assume there's two of them. Well, he's a brother. He's a brother of someone, but I don't know if he's in show business or she. But he is, and he's here to sing a song, right? All right. I am the Leonard brother. I'm singing a song about the game show. Win your prizes, roll the dices, get your song on the game show show. No, don't like it, and it's not a game show. So that was irrelevant. Oh, sorry, I thought it was a game show because of the name. Hang on a minute, are you the producer with a moustache on? No, I'm over here hiding behind a big box. Wait a minute. So for today's fabulous episode, I would like to highlight the game Switch and Signal. And there's nothing you can do about it. Um, Switch, well, you could just turn off and that was a bit rude. Anyway, you can't change my, just get on with it. All right. So Switch and Signal is a train game, but it's a train game with a twist of lime. So the Switch and Signal is by David Thompson. He's the designer. He did, um, I think he's the guy that did Undaunted, the Undaunted games, at least co-design, I forget. And what was the other one that's known pretty well about, oh, gosh. It's it's an abstract thing. Oh, I'm going to have to look it up now because it's bugging me. <laughs> War Chest. Now, these games aren't necessarily games that worked for me, which sounds very off-putting and put-downy, but um, I don't know. They were good. They were good. I mean, Undaunted, I just felt like I might as well have played Memoir 44. And War Chest is very clever. It just didn't. It was too much for me to take in in an abstract. But... Very, look, what am I saying? I'm saying he's obviously a really good designer. He's had some good, well-regarded games. And here's another one, okay? Right. So Switch and Signal um, was published by Cosmos. I think in 2021 it first came out. But um, I didn't get it till this year. No, 2020, gosh. But that was probably S in 2020. And you know what 2020 was like. So... You know, 2021, 2020. I don't know. It was around then. The box says 2021. BGG says 2020. You make up your own mind. But I got it in 2022, which is this year. And um, what am I Just review the dumb game. Okay, it's not a dumb game. So Switch and Signal is a train game. Think, oh, it's a bit heavier than Ticket to Ride, I guess. But it's a lightish train game. It's not like there's... um, cubes to push or actually there are some cubes uh well it's not like there's shares to bid on or um track to lay this is more about the management of the trains on the system on the on the routes on the train line system on the grid right and it's your job as the players to make sure the trains deliver their goods to the port and don't crash or anything Sounds easy, but it's not. So it's for two to four players, but I'll say again, I'll say at the end for the first time, that you could play at one to four players, I reckon. Um, It's a very streamlined production. You get one board and there's a US map and a Europe map on each side. Well, there's one of each. There's one of them on each side. 
So you've got Europe on one side and US on the other. Got it? Great. Um, and all over those maps, there's cities from those places and train lines connecting those cities. And, and there's red signal lights that you can cover up with green discs, as in red means stop. So the default is stop, but you can move the green discs around to turn them into go lights. And then at each intersection, there's a sec select, there's, well, there's circles. There's gray circles, like uh, at a three-way crossing, there's three circles. And at a four-way crossing, there's four circles. You got it? Good. And there's black discs that represent when those circles, those switches are closed or open. So that's hard to explain verbally, but look at a picture. Actually, don't look at a picture because then what's the point of listening to this amazing show? Just there's discs on the intersections, okay? Good. You got it? Great. There's two decks of cards. There's the general action deck, and then there's a deck that tracks the turns, and each turn you'll flip one of those cards over. It'll tell you if any new trains enter the game and if any trains move before your turn begins, properly begins. All right, so what is this game? This is a great game. On your turn, you've got a hand of five cards at the start, five action cards, right? On your turn, first thing you do is you flip one of the event cards. Um, there's the starting one, which is the same for every game, and then there's a deck of, um, is it 18? I really should have looked at this stuff. Uh, before before we started, but I think 18 other cards, and you'll shuffle them and chuck out two randomly, so you'll have 16 turns plus the first turn, because each turn you flip one. So you flip one over, and it says if grey and or brown and or black trains go onto the board, if so, you'll take one, and you'll roll two six-sided dice to determine which starting spot they start at, because there's starting spots numbered 1 to 12 all around the outside of the map. Then it might say on that card if grey trains move or brown trains or black trains. And then you'll have your turn. And your turn is just to play as many cards as you want from your hand. You'll start with five. There's only, I think, three kinds. There's move train cards. So if you play one of them, you can move a train. There's swap a signal card. So if you play that, you get to move one of those green discs to turn a signal to go. Or there's um, switch cards, and if you play that, you can change a switch and intersection, so it'll allow trains through it a different way, different direction. That's it. Okay, so also on the board, there are red, white, blue, yellow, I think that's it, starting spots for the cubes, which represent the goods. You put two cubes on each of these spots, and they've got to get to, on the Europe map, Marseille for you to win. You've got to get all eight of them home or on the pot, on the boats, right? All right, so the, you win if all the cubes get there before the end of your 17th turn, usually less than 17, but we'll get to that. You lose if you run out of turns and you haven't done that, basically. Okay, so, oh, and at the end of your turn, you no matter how many cards you've played, you draw five cards from the action deck and you've got a hand limit of 10, I think it is. So, okay, let's go back in detail. A bit more detail, a bit more variety of what I'm telling you here. So there's also seven time discs on a clock, by the way. All right, I'll tell you what they do in a minute. Don't get impatient. All right, so let's say you flipped over a card and it says place 
a train of your choice on the board. Which one would you choose? Well, the grey ones are super slow because the dice you roll to make a grain train, green, grey train move only has like one, two, and three on it, mostly ones and twos. The brown trains are medium speed. They've probably got ones, twos, threes, fours, I forget, a bit more medium. And the black trains are really express. It's like four, five, and six space movement. That's it based on the die roll. So just say you want to start moving really quick. So you put a black train out and then you roll the two dice and it says seven because it's not lucky. So you put the black train on the seven spot. Okay, now your turn starts properly if that's all the card said, but it probably said move some trains. So just say, like it said, I'm rambling, just say it said move the brown trains. So you'd choose the order that they'd move. If you have more than one, you roll the brown dice so they move, and then it's your turn. Okay, so you play as many cards as you want. Just say you see a grey train you got to move. For some reason, you'll play a move train card. You roll the grey dice. You can do that as many times as you want, but you just move one train, whereas with the event card, you'd move all of them. You might want to move some signals to green so that uh, before a train moves, though, so that it won't get stopped. You might want to swap some signals as well. If you hit a city that's one with the cubes in it, you have to stop in it, and then you can play a card of your choice, any type, to load the good that might be there into your wagon or your back end. Your back end. Right, that's it. That's all it is. Now, the trick is if trains... If you roll movement and the trains can't move because of signals or switches or a train in the way, you lose one of those time tokens for each movement you can't do. If you go back to start, if you somehow go back to a starting spot, you lose, I think it's two time and the train goes off the board, something like that, with its good maybe that goes back to its start. If you actually make two trains hit head on, then they both go away, and I think you may lose two time for each train, something crazy like that, and the cube, so don't do it. Just don't do it. You've got to manage it. You've got to know, okay, the brown train, if it's asked to move, it's going to hit something, so I've got to fix it so it won't. You know, you've got to think ahead, think ahead all the time. And, of course, it's a co-op, which is what's cool. So you're planning, you're, you're delivering, and you're picking up, and you're co-oping as well. So you've got to work together. You've got to say, well, on my next turn, maybe I'll be moving this train pretty fast. So you move that train this time. You know, work it out. Help each other, for goodness sake. Now, you might say, why don't I just put black trains on the board? Well, you've got three of each type. And if you've put them all on the board and then the card says to put a black train out, you lose time as well. If you roll the dice and you have to put a train on a starting spot where a train already is, you lose time. If you lose all of those seven time tokens, you shuffle and, well, you, no, you just randomly remove one of the cards from the event, the turn deck that hasn't happened yet. So you lose a turn and then you get the seven time tokens back again. So it's really important not to do that. After you've had your turn, it's the next player's go. They'll flip one of those cards. It'll say if any trains start, it'll say move trains and then you go again. Um, you've really got to manage the trains. You don't want black trains going too fast and hitting things before you're ready to manage it. Oh, it's just really putting out fires all over the place. You've also got three special actions you can do once per game. Um, there's three on each side of the board that are different. Both sides of the board play really differently, by the way. Well, they have different... One's more difficult. The US side is way more difficult, I think. But, um, you know, they might be like ignore the dice or 
ignore a train movement or roll the dice to whatever you want. I don't know that they're things like that that really help you out, but they're one use only. I really enjoy it. Um, it's it's a very light co-op, I think. It, it'll only take 30 minutes, I think, max. Um, it's a real challenge. You feel like you're not going to get there and then you don't get there anyway or you just get there. I've played four times and I think I've won two of those four, but I played with easy rules. I'll explain how you can fix that in a minute. But um, I either got thrashed or just won in those games. Um, I just really like it. Now, uh, like if you want a game that's pretty quick, has a really neat puzzle to it, very few rules, a game you can play twice in a night, no problem, but you want a co-op, this is one of the few, in my opinion, that work just great for that style. There's so few rules, so few components, really. It is a bit fiddly. Like you've got a lot of discs on the board. You don't want to knock it. You don't want a cat to get up on the table. But it's pretty quick. You can figure it out if something did get knocked. Um, it's just really, really streamlined, really, really smooth, really fun to play, yet stressful, as all co-op should be. Um, I said before you could play this solo. So the only difference playing two to four players is that you have more turns as the active player when it's two players than four, obviously. Other than that, there's no changes. It is possible, you know, that alpha game problem that they often say about co-ops, it is possible here that someone who knows the game really well will say, you do that, then you do that, then I'll do that. That's the way to win. And maybe they're right, and that's just a bit sad. But you are in charge when it's your turn. You don't necessarily have to listen to them. They could be jerks. They could be wrong. Discuss it. Be nice. Don't just tell them. Discuss it, right? But um, first, I played it solo. All I did was play two-handed. So I had two hands of cards, and each hand of cards took turns. I'm sure that you could actually solo rule it. All you need to figure out is the hand size and if there's any limitations um, because otherwise you could set yourself up for massive turns if you are the only player. So I think it's just half an hour or so of sitting. Oh, that's sounding like it's easy. I don't know. Sitting down and thinking it through, I'm sure a solo mode could easily be designed. But all I did was two hands, and it worked great. So my left hand did that, then my right hand did that. It's a co-op. I didn't have to pretend my left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. <laughs> So it was good. Um, it only takes 15, 20 minutes solo once you know what you're doing, which is really nice too. Lastly, um, I just wanted to say you can mix it up if it gets too easy for you. Firstly, start on the Europe board to get to know it. I found the American board much more difficult, just the way the tracks are laid, but also you've got to deliver goods to do two ports, not one. So you've got to manage the trains a bit better. But not only that, the rules suggest a number of ways that you can affect the rules to make it more or less difficult. Simply, you can start with less time tokens. Start with six instead of seven, five instead of seven. You could start with less turns in the deck. And, and which of these you do depends, like once you play it, you'll know what you feel you need to do to make it more difficult if it was easy for you. Um, things like that. You can also start with less or more signals on the board. Um, the rule book has suggested setups for your first game on each board. You can just start with random switch settings and signal settings on each 
on your start. You don't have to do what the book says. The book, I think, is set up a nice medium weight difficulty setup, but you can just mix up the signals and make it really difficult for you. Um, there's also discs or counters in the board to replace the starting locations. So if you don't want the randomness of the dice, you can just draw from this deck. So, you know, first train will start at town number seven. That seven won't come up again, you know, uh, things like that. That makes it probably easier, but also less chaotic, maybe more manageable. Depends how you feel. Um, stuff like that. There's probably other things in the rulebook too to make it more or less difficult, I forget, but it's it's really great. So in summary, it's fun. It's a neat puzzle. It's great with two to four players or one. Uh, I think the less players, the better maybe, just so that you get more turns, but it's fine all the way up. It's a little bit fiddly and set up, uh, but once you know the game, it's something that's easy to set up and really I just said it was hard to set up. It's just fiddly to set up, but you know what you're doing after the first setup. But it's uh, smooth playing, really great, bit fiddly, but bit it's it like if you don't want a short light co-op, then it's not for you. I'm saying why I like it, all right? It's my show. Deal with it. It's a great game. Switch and signal. Hopefully I still love it after 20 plays. Um, at this point, I hope I will. Ta-da! So it's a tradition on this program to list three games that are similar in some way to the game I highlight in my review that are not the same as that game. So what am I doing this time? Hey, well, I'll tell you. Let's talk about three lighter co-ops that are not Pandemic. And no offense to Pandemic, I love Pandemic and many of its iterations, but this is something else. If you've played Pandemic and you want something shorter than that, lighter than that, and not that. So I'm not talking about Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Sky. I'm not talking about, even though they're great, I'm talking about things that are not similar to Pandemic, although maybe I'm wrong, let's see. Um, because I think that most co-ops are more complicated. You know, Pandemic leveling up. Oh, I think we should have more family weight co-ops. Where's the, actually, there has been a few. Oh, like Micro Macro won the spiel just last year. Okay, I'll still do it. Look, these are, th in my head, co-ops are more complicated. But here are three that are not. So maybe there's others. And I'm not talking about games for really young kids. There's some great ones, though, like Karuba Jr., Orchard for like five-ish year olds or less. Three to five, three to six, something like that. Played a ton of that back in the day. Not when I was that young. Another one is mm, by Reiner Knizia. It's a like a, a co-op that's it's for kids or you know. But I've played it. I've enjoyed it. I enjoy it. I, I still have it. It's it's pretty good solo too. These are not kids games. These are actually one of them is a kids game. So shut up. Gee, just get on with it. Okay, stop talking to yourself. Okay, I will. So. The first one is The Game. Uh, and everyone always says, oh, what a dumb name. Or how am I ever going to search for that? Don't search for it. I don't know. I used to search for The Game Spiel because in German it was called The Game Spiel das Long du kannst. I, that's not it. But it, it was a subtitle that started Spiel. Basically meant play as long as you can. 
this is a card game, just a card game. There's four places to play cards. At the start, um, two deck, two spaces you play cards, two to go up in number, two cards, two spaces are where you play cards when you want to go down in number. You've got the cards, is it one to a hundred in the deck? That simple. You draw a certain number of cards depending on the player count. And on your turn, you've got to play two cards. Uh, so if you've got a one, great, put it on the deck, one of the spots where it's going up. If you've got a hundred, good, put it on one of the spots going down. I think it's actually two to 99 is in the deck. And the starting spots are one and a hundred. But if you've got 50, what do you do? Um, so it, there's a lot of tension. It's all about what you get and managing mitigating disaster as much as possible. You're not allowed to say what cards you've got in your hand. That would be too easy. But you can say, I think your intention, like I'd like to go on that deck, that pile there. And, of course, you all win if you play all the cards. Once the draw deck runs out, because you, you play at least two cards, however many you play, then draw back up at the end of your turn. Um, but once the deck's gone, if you've still got cards in your hand, you only have to play one card per turn. It's very challenging to win. It's very simple to play. There's other variants too. There's the game extreme, which adds some really challenging rules, like if this card is still up, or as long as this card is visible on a deck, you can't do something or you have to do something else. There's also a promo set called On Fire, which came in my box, so it might be just be in a lot of the versions now. And it comes with cards. I think it's 11, 22, 33, the doubles have fire on them and if those are still visible on a deck at the end of the next player's turn you lose automatically stuff like that i forgot oh, i forgot the really cool rule um you can do a 10 jump so if if i play if i'm going up on one of the piles and i play a one and the next person plays a five and then it comes back to me and all i've got is 50 I can play that, but then if I've got the 40, because it's a jump back of 10, I can play that. And then maybe I've got the 30. So I play 50, 40, 30, and then I haven't really bombed us that bad, and I've gotten rid of a lot of cards. So there's that rule, which is great. Another simple co-op is Escape, Curse of the Temple. This is by Queen. I remember when this came out, I thought it was the bee's knees, literally. I thought it was off a bee's knee. Some, I don't know what I'm talking about. This game has a 10-minute timer, a soundtrack indeed. And um, at the start you play, you, it's a tile game, but you can't see the temple, the tiles that, that you're racing through, just the starting centre tile. But each exit has icons you need to roll with your dice to explore into the next tile, if I'm remembering it right. And there's different things to do on the tiles. And basically you're constantly rolling dice to do things, to move, to pick up stuff. There's all sorts of expansions that add amazing variety, different challenges. But your dice can get stuck. You can get stuck. So then you're like, help me. So someone else has to roll their dice frantically to get over to you and then roll their dice frantically to fix you up. Then you can all run around again. And for some reason, halfway through the game, you've all got to get back to the center, which is a challenge, and the music gets really ominous. And then at the end, you've got to get out. Or if you don't all get out, you all lose. And you're just constantly rolling dice to get the symbols you need to move and to pick up stuff and to do stuff. And that's escape curse of the temple. Some people find that really stressful, I should say. And the last one is by the designer of Pandemic, Matt Leacock. But it's called Mole Rats in Outer Space. And this is the one that really is a kid's game. But I think adults with a 
kid's heart, like, you know, in a box somewhere, would enjoy it too. This is has one similarity with Switch and Signal. It's got that deck where each turn you flip a card, but it's not the timer. Well, it is the timer of the game, but it's way thicker. And on it, it says, like, you can move your mole rat or other people's mole rats. For some reason, these mole rats are astronauts. Don't ask. Um, and your job is to move the astronauts, the mole rats, to collect these four items and take them to the escape pod. But there are snakes in the spaceshipy thing that are trying to get you, and they might move too or get added to the board too. Why are there snakes? Because this is basically Snakes and Ladders, the grown-up board game, which is really cool. I love it when designers take an old idea and make it something special. Um, so it's Snakes and Ladders in that there's these, like, tubes, these plastic pipes, like, what was that show? The Jetsons. But they suck you out, so you don't want to stop on one of them. And there's ladders where if you stop on one of them, you have to go up. And the snakes get sucked down and go up as well automatically. So you've got to watch that. And basically, you're trying to get all the mole rats home without a snake killing them or getting into the escape pod and before the deck runs out. Really fun little game if you like really like co-ops. So check it out. Those are three lighter cooperative games. This is David signing off. Well, David, I thought what we could do, if you're not into the theme song idea, although I'm still open to it, if you are, uh, would like one. No, I'm over it too. I always was over it. Well, we'll see. But uh, what about some promo spots? We could make some ads, you know, get some celebrities to say how much they like your show. and We could use that to put it in media do a media kit and like they could be watching Carrie Ann or Midday or, or what was his name the moon face and they could be get an ad from a celebrity saying how much they like your show wait you just listed shows from the 90s and like 80s I don't think those shows are on anymore well the equivalent equivalent whatever people watch i don't know i i don't even have a tv i look at things on my phone and then don't pay the bill that's how i watch my media but i'd like ads for your show in there to at least feel like we're getting some traction some viewership some hits in your face well i don't know any celebrities we got one right there in the corner on his newspapers. Uncle Craig is getting famous. He'll do a promo spot for you. Your Uncle Craig, who you forced to mooch off of me and, and lives in the studio, like basically on old newspapers, you think he would sell the show well? Well, he's going to do a better job than you. All right, get him here. Uncle Craig, come over here. Well, actually, I don't think he's going to move. You'll have to take the microphone over to him. Record something. Yeah, good. Record something. Sell my show, please. Oh. Uh, 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 it's, it's cheap, so use it. There you go. We'll use that. We'll add some music. 
put it in all the slots on the radio and the TV. There you go. It'll be like David's game show. It's cheap, so use it. That Uncle Craig says. I, I really don't want to do this. It's the quiz. Quiz. It's the quiz, quiz, quiz. It's the fabulous game quiz on David's game show. It's the part of the show where you cannot win because no one's ever even tried. Except for Thermaz that other week on BGG. He got one of the three correct. But that's not enough. So either they're too hard or no one's listening or no one could be bothered. So maybe this is the last time I do this and I'll come up with some other great segment. But here we go. What were the cryptic clues last time that no one even bothered to try and get? <laughs> okay, well, I'm not bitter. The first one was um, a hectare of frost. That was pretty obvious. I just spent a lot of time talking about it. It was a few acres of snow, a hectare of frost. I think a hectare is actually a few acres. And frost, snow, same thing. A hectare of frost is a few acres of snow. Got it? very angry today the second one like Christmas this was so easy as Yule similar to Yule as Yule as all as all get it Ugh. and the third one was a single dead body and I made it clear it didn't even have to be a human body didn't that help single dead body that's carcass one one carcass, carcass one, carcass on. If you look at it spelled carcass one, it's carcass on. Just with extra S's and O's and N's. Come on. That was an easy week. Easy show. So this is it. You've got to get it now. You've got to get it. If you get all these three right, let me know. And you can win something. Maybe. I don't know what it is. I'll think about it. Okay. There's some... These are easy because I'm giving you extra clues here. One of them is listed in the Spiel des Jahres nominations, okay? One of them previously was a Spiel des Jahres nomination and it's a simple co-op that I forgot to mention in my simple co-op, lighter co-op segment, okay? And then the third one is by a designer who had a nomination this year, okay? So that should help. All right, the first one is Here's the cryptic clue. Identification of the fancy grave. The fancy grave identification. The fancy grave identification. Okay, the second one. This is really easy. Enchanted labyrinth. What's that a cryptic clue for? What board game? Enchanted labyrinth. And then the last one is a long goodbye. A long goodbye. If you can solve which board game titles clues those are, let me know somehow and you might win something maybe. See, it's great. <clears throat> Hi, well, it's me again, uh, of course. Don't know who else you would have been expecting, but um, there was a big announcement last week yes my marriage to dame jute no um the spiel des yaras nominees were announced and i always look forward to this with bated breath every year 
I know there are many, 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 many people in the world and many, many, many gamers who don't care, but I'm not one of them. The Spielders Yaras is the world's most prominent, preeminent, before eminent award in the board gaming industry. And because of its scope, a lot of people out there aren't huge fans. I'm a massive fan. I always try, I think, to seek out the games that are nominated to play them and get to know them, hopefully before they, um, you know, announce the winner so I can have in my head my own thoughts on which was the winner. Many games that have won the Spielders Yaris have been big hits for me and many games that have been nominated for the Spielders Yaris have been massive hits for me, many of which I still play and own to this day. The Spielders Yaras and the Kenner Spiel, the level slightly above it, always seem to really hit well for me. Well, a lot of the time. So the Spielders Yaras is Germany's Game of the Year award. Um, there's also the Kinder Spielders Yaras for kids and the Kenner Spielders Yaras or Enthusiasts Game of the Year. Um, the Spielders Yaras is for, I guess, some people could call them non-gamers or non-hobby gamers, non-dedicated gamers. They might buy a game or two a year, but that's it. They're looking for something family weight, pretty straightforward. And the Kenner Spiel is for people a bit above that who have played a number of games and could grok them pretty easily. Um, but most people listening to this, of which there's like three, would know that already. So let's skip ahead a bit. So the nominees announced were Cascadia from Flat Out Games or Cosmos in Germany. All these games have to have been out in Germany to be nominated. Scout from Oink Games, uh, mostly, and Top 10 from Cocktail Games. I should say the designer. So Cascadia is Randy Flynn. Scout is Kay Kajina, I think. Top 10 was Aurelien, Aurelien Picolet, something like that. I did my best. Um, a lot of people were saying Cascadia, a lot of people were saying Scout, and a lot of people top 10. I've never played top 10 and probably won't for a while because it's only in German. But it's a game where you have to rank stuff, a party game. It sounds pretty fun. Scout is a two to five player, I think, card game, which I didn't think would get picked. Apparently it's quite unique and clever, but it's like a ladder climbing game. And I mean, Llama got nominated a few years ago, which I guess is something similar, but I just thought little mini card games don't usually win, but that doesn't matter. That's fine. Cascadia is the one that everyone thinks is going to win and was the favourite to get nominated because apparently it's really smooth and easygoing and fun, but just because it's the only board game of the three doesn't necessarily mean it's going to win. Um, I, I watched... A video a few years ago it was done at BGG con one year the then grand jury grand poobah the grand jury the jury guy the head juror of the cas of the Cascadia of the Spielders Yaras went through their process um, and then I watched another video I think it was filmed at a convent another convention where he was interviewed and it was really interesting what they go through to figure out their top three. The jury have many meetings, but they don't just play games they like. They play so much through the year. They're all reviewers. They're not paid. They're on this, they've been selected to be on this jury because in Germany, you know, board game review is quite highbrow and they're in newspapers and stuff. And 
they get put on the jury and they have lots of chats about things and they end up with three over the year um, that they play. But they play things not just with their game groups but with like kids' groups in hospital and and aged care homes and stuff. So they want to make sure the games that they pick have wide appeal. Um, now, this is one of the first times in recent memory for me. I haven't played any of the nominees, so I can't really talk about them. I have just picked up Scout and Cascadia's on its way. So, but I won't, so I'll talk about them at some point. But I will say that I'm really happy for Oint Games to get this nomination for Scout because for a long time they, time, they were a small Japanese company doing it hard. I have a relationship with them. I used to distribute their games in Australia when they were impossible to get. Um, and they've had a bit of some blows with their games being taken by other companies. I won't go into that here, but including one that was nominated for the Spiel. But this one, you know, good on them. I'm glad for them. Cascadia, I'm glad that the fan favourite did get a nod, but we'll see how it all falls out, which is a weird way to say it. For the Kenner Spiel, the nominees are Cryptid, Dune Imperium, so Cryptid by Hal Duncan, Ruth Vivas and Osprey Games or in Germany, Scaling Games, and Dune Imperium from Paul Denon and Dire Wolf Games, Living Forest from Asker Christensen and Ludenort, and in Germany, Pegasus. Um, so two of these games I've already owned and sold or traded. Cryptid and Dune Imperium, they came out here earlier in English than in Germany, so they're nominated this year. They were both great games. I just was done with them after a while and have limited space, but Cryptid's like a deduction sort of a game, trying to find a cryptid on a map. Cryptid apparently means mythical creature. don't know. Dune Imperium is a worker placement slash deck building game, which I've talked about a couple of times, which is pretty good, especially at higher play accounts and very close to the book for what it is. Um, Living Forest is my favourite for these three. I've played all three and it's my favourite so far. I've only played it twice. It's a pretty streamlined deck building game. For me, it hits this award's weight just right. But it isn't as unique as the other two, so we'll see. But it is beautiful. It, it does a few things really well. Like there may not be a lot of new stuff in there, but what it does is done really well. It's really smooth, pretty quick. Different routes to victory. I really like it a lot. So there was also a longer list. They always do recommended. These are ones that were being considered but didn't make the final cut. Seven Wonders Architects, that was my favourite for the award. I talked about that in the first episode. Echoes the Dancer, I don't know what that is. Magic Rabbit, I don't know what that is. My Gold Mine, I don't know what that is. Trek 12, I don't know what that is. So Clover, that's a party game, a word game that I was going to talk about on this show at some point, but that's pretty fun. But yeah, I, I mean, Seven Wonders Architects would have been good for me to get in there, but I see what they were going for and it wasn't perhaps quite it. But at least it gets a nod there. For the Kenner Spiel, the longer list is Ark Nova, which I've talked about and I love that game. It's a bit long and heavy, so I'm not surprised, but it deserved a recommendation. Cora, Rise of an Empire, I've been really wanting to play. Uh, looks pretty fun from Yellow, and Witchstone, which is a game, I forget the designer, I'm so sorry, but he riffed off of a Reiner Knizia game called Ingenious, and so Reiner Knizia's on there as a, a designer as well. Um, love the list, love the award. I, 
I don't have much to, I, I don't know why I picked this as a topic because I don't have much to talk about for the Spiel nominees. The Kenner Spiel, I like all of them. They're a great list. But Living Forest is my favourite of the three and I'm not on the jury, so who cares? Um, just so you know, it's interesting the Kinderspiel has two nominees, Alks Sean Clever, which is a kid's version of Garn Sean Clever, which was nominated a few years ago, a couple of years ago, and Quacks & Co., which is a kid's version of Quacks of Quedlinburg, which was nominated a couple of years ago. Both of them on the same year by the same designer. Now it's happened again. His kids' versions have come out and both been nominated in the same year. So Wolfgang Warsh has had two years being nominated and in that time has had five nominations, which is insanity. Insanity. I mean, the most biggest winners of the main award, who would that be? Um, Keesling, probably, or Kramer, or Toiba, one of those three. They've probably only had five nominees themselves, nominations themselves. It's really hard to get nominated. I guess what I want to say is um, on BGG, Board Game Geek, there's a thread discussing these nominees. And as I expected, because it is always you, every year, there's a lot of criticism. People saying these are joke um, nominees, these are joke awards, these are pathetic, I hate it, I want to kill something because of these nominees. Ugh, but I just, uh, see, I'm going to get negative now. I just sort of would wish people just let it go. Like if it's not for you, it's not for you. But to get so bitter, I don't know. It's just, why am I even talking about this? It's time for your questions and answers from me. I've got another question. It was brought to my attention this week that I keep asking for questions, yet never give any method to ask questions to, to me. So it's like, why even bother asking for questions and then demanding questions and you can't ask me? But you know what? I'm doubling down. You have to find a way to ask me. If you do that, I will answer your question on the show, this show here, because it is a show and it's a great show and it needs your question. So ask me, please. You put in the effort. Come on. What? It's a two-way thing here, sort of. So I found a question for me. It's by David Mills on uh, BGG. His username is Millsy Boy. Hey, Millsy, Millsy Boy, Millsy Boy. He's a great guy. I assume he's a guy from his name, um, David Mills, Millsy Boy. And he asked me the following. So this is actually really exciting. It's an actual question. It's my third question in four shows. We're almost up to an average of one. So I'm really excited. He says, oh, like, like, let me start by saying his nice stuff. Not, it's all nice, but he, he starts really nice. Um, I'm enjoying your episode so far. And I've started to get invested in the story of your studio and family members. Smiley face emoji. Well, that's nice. For, for me, I hate them all. Well, I shouldn't say that because if I say that, I get cut off, don't I? Yes, she's looking at me right now. But they annoy me. Is that all right? No. Okay. Here's his question. Well, it's not really a question. There's no, it's a statement. But it, it counts. I would like to hear from you. This is Millsy Boy. Millsy boy, I would like to hear from you a bit of your perspective as a gamer, 
designer and publisher. My work in gaming are worlds apart, and I use games a little bit to escape the challenges of work and life. I'm not sure what it would be like for me if my work and leisure were so intertwined. That That's what he said. So um, I can't really talk to that because my work and leisure are very different things, but they used to be the same. So I think he's referring to when I was Grail Games. So for seven and a half years, I created, ran a board game publisher, Grail Games. I left there at the end of last year um, for personal you don't need to know. Stop asking these questions, Millsy Boy. Well, he didn't ask that, actually. What did he ask? What, what's it like to intertwine work and life? Because for him, games escape work and life. Well, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's, it's I think for some people it's weird. For me, it's, it wasn't weird. It was like you work on games, then you stop and you play games, and then you work on games, and then you play games. So I think people worry about, oh, I don't want things to collide because then my pleasure, like, like it's like, oh, if my pleasure becomes my work, then I'm not going to enjoy my pleasure. But actually it's the other way, at least for me. If your pleasure becomes your work, suddenly you enjoy your work. And I didn't like burn out on games or anything. It's just I had games that I had to develop or games that I had to figure out how to get published and games I wanted to play for fun. They were very different, but but I get the point. I mean, it is something you've got to be wary of, the work-life balance thing. But for me, it was, I didn't even think about it till you asked the question, Millsy. So I, I don't know exactly if I'm being good at my answer job, but that's sort of what I've got. I guess when you've been in the industry, you look at games more critically. But I always did that um, because of I designed some. So if you've designed board games or made them, when you play them for fun, you're looking at, oh, how did they make that component? Or who's the artist here? Or why did they cut the cards like that? Or how did they design it like this? Or why did they design it like this? But that's not even a negative thing. I think that's an interesting thing. It's like, I think a director of movies might still watch a movie. It's just that when they're sitting in the chair, they're looking at it differently to you or I. Nice grammar there. That was good grammar. You or I. Like when me, when I look at a movie, I'm just maybe watching it for fun. But but John, who's a director that starts with John? John Bielberg? Like when he's watching a movie... He's probably going, oh, look at that shot and that tracking device and that CGI, because that's all movies seem to be now. Oh, get off my lawn, man. CGI, get off. You, there, the guy in the skin-tight suit with dots all over you. Get off my lawn, um, which would be a great green screen probably. But if you lay down on it. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore, but I think it has something to do with movies. So, Millsy Boy, did that answer your question? Um I don't know. I just had work and pleasure. Like if I worked at an ice cream shop, I'd still eat ice cream. I mean, okay, maybe you wouldn't. I think I would. Some people wouldn't. I think it's just a personality thing. It's not a work-life thing. It's a personality thing. I, I, I Like if you like games, I think you're going to like working on games. What, 
what would make you not like working on games is maybe the people you're working with or the people that bag you out online or the if they did you know or your game was terrible so you felt bad about that not the actual game bit i think like i don't know like everyone's different and the grass is always greener right like i know a lot of people play board games online like apps or computers websites i just can't handle it i don't want to sit at a computer all day or all night especially when life's going on around me my family out there and my producer going nuts at me i don't want to just sit here and let them deal with it i want to help oh that sounds really negative to other people sorry you do you but oh that implies i'm way better than you that's not what i meant that i i just don't want to sit still at a computer at night alone um playing a game i think games for me are tactile and mostly social I know you can be social online though, but it's, I don't know, it's just the screen does me in and I just lose a lot and I don't know what I'm doing and I just click stuff. I don't know. And that's the answer to the question. All right, I think we better wrap this one up. We shouldn't have even started it. This is really not a great show. You keep reminding me. How'd your promos go? Just recorded it with Uncle Craig. I haven't exactly sent it out to the channels yet. It'll happen. Why don't we just flesh it out and do a whole ad? Not just him saying it's cheap, so use it. Let, like, let's use something more than that. Can you do a whole ad that would go on YouTube or, or Facebook or what's the other one? Meety. Meter. Like, no, that's not it. Meta? Why don't you make an ad for that? All right. Ahem. Come on over and listen to David's game show. If you like games, you're probably a nerd. But if you're not a nerd and you're a geek and you like the games, come on over. He talks about the games and it's not a game show. That was insulting and not very promotional at all. Then, look, I'm about to just say to you, give up on this show. If I can't write a good ad for it in five seconds, there's something missing. So please move on. I think I'm going to go back to the theme song idea. Maybe next week if someone has a theme song, they could send it in and we could uh, use it. The thing you've got at the start of the show that says, David Goobs, or do, 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 it's pathetic. We'll get a theme song and I bet you that will get the viewers in and then money into my Patreon account. Oh, I didn't know we had a Patreon account. You don't? Oh, well. What I'd like to say about that is forget I said that. Well, all right. Look, if someone sends in a theme song idea or a recording, I'll, I'll put it on. I promise because I don't know how they're going to get to me because I don't have... Like I'm Huffer 2 on BGG. Otherwise, they're going to have to just know me or figure it out somehow. And I'm not sure I'm interested in having stalkers trying to find out how to get to find me. So I think we're stuck with what we've got. Whatever. What are you going to talk about next week? Tell them before they turn off. Next week? It's probably next fortnight. Um, next fortnight, not next week. I've never done it weekly. Whatever. 
Um, well, I've got a few games I'm considering. The fourth Azul game, um, we could talk about that. We could talk about Living Forest. It's been nominated for the Kennespiel. I think that by that time I would have played Scout and Cascadia, hopefully, but at least Scout. And uh, we'll talk about one of them and I'll come up with a list. And uh, are you awake? This is David's Game Show. Uh, David's... David's Game Show. It's cheap, so use it.